welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are glad you're with us today. We're recording live, but not your time, our time. Time has passed since it was live, but it's live right now, and we're doing it here in San Luis Obispo, California. On Let's Make a Deal. That's how you sound like right now. <laughs> right. So if Aaron starts, that means he's Studio A and we're Studio B. Yep. That's... Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're, we're Studio B today. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, hi, it's off that. the Mellow Mushroom. We've got Mondo and Newton in Studio B. And I, I alone <laughs> am your true host, Aaron Porter. Not the Commodore, not the, the Commander, not the Lieutenant General. Yes. <laughs> Just Aaron. You can yeah. call me AP or what did I find out my, my Skype name was? Uh, Mr. Dibbity Do. Yeah. This is Mr. Dibbity Do in San Luis Obispo. That's a very disturbing Skype name. But he just uses it to make scat videos that he posts to YouTube. Yeah, man. Oh, did you say scat videos? <laughs> <laughs> so not, 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 like, not like deer scat or bear scat. You know. I don't know what it is, but it sounds horrible. Yes, it does. Yeah, I I have been trying to figure out my Skype name ever since doing an update on my computer, so I had to redo all the like sign in stuff. Uh-huh. Couldn't figure it out. Finally, had it send it to me today, and it said, "Well, of course, don't you remember your name's Mister Dibbity Doo?" <laughs> like I I've never even remember thinking the word Dibbity Doo. So how did I get this Skype name? Now everybody can Skype me. I am Mister Dibbity Doo. I think you need to keep it. Yeah, I think you should keep it. Just uh, own it. Hey, at least we now have it recorded, so next time I forget, I'm like, where's that Pirate Monk episode? <laughs> right? what my Skype name is. <laughs> oh, man. All right, how are you guys doing this week? No, Nate. Nate is still where? He's been in Florida. He's, he's between yeah. somewhere in Florida and Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, so he's in route. He's on. Uh, him and Allie are on, on the interstate, headed back for yeah. a one-month-long journey. Working, Working vacation? Yeah. Or a vacation yeah, you know with some working. It sounds like he did a better job vacationing. I was talking to him last week, and, of course, they love to leave Tennessee in the winter months and yeah. get down to Florida and do work. And much of his work work he can do anywhere, so, yeah. you know, they can travel and he can do his work. And he sounded really relaxed. They were having a good time. They had some time with the uh, kids down there at Disney yeah. World, the grandkids. And oh, cool, man. So, yeah, it'd be, good. it'd be good to catch up with him when he gets back, see, see what he's been doing, how he's yeah. doing. When I've, when I've texted with him, the only replies I get when I say, how's it going? It's just warm and wonderful. That's all I get. <laughs> that means he's, he's ecstatic. Like yeah. He, he's just really enjoying himself. Yeah. I'll tell you, he's out there in his Speedo enjoying life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you guys been? I haven't seen you guys for a number of weeks here, so yeah. how's it going? Things are good, man. You know, Newton and I are just trying to take over the Pirate Monk podcast. You know, we're uh, we've been holding it down the last uh, few weeks, but uh, <laughs> but if, if I had a guilt gene, I might have felt something there. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know, man. Now everything's cool over here. Uh, we got the Grimes clan with me today. You know, I got my girls Layla and Zoe with me in the other room, and they're hanging out at spring break. Spring break. Uh, Wait, should so should they come in? Let's bring okay Zoe and Layla in. Yeah, right, I mean, cool. have, have well, we ever had kids on the podcast before? I don't think so. I don't think I don't remember hearing any, and I don't have kids, so I wouldn't have brought any. Yeah, I don't think so, man. But we'll we'll have them on and come have them come say hello. Yeah. they're looking at me like, "What are we doing? You All didn't right. do anything wrong. Come on in." <laughs> All right, say hi to Mr. Aaron. Layla and Zo- uh, Mr. Aaron. You guys are so. Go ahead. I want to hear it. Say hi. So why is it that your dad makes you call me Mr. Aaron? What is it with you Southerners that you call adults by their preschool teacher name? Because here in California, you only say Mr. or Mrs. with a first name if you're a preschool student talking to your teacher. Are you in preschool? No. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> first and second grade. So we're recording a show, and I want you guys to tell everybody who's listening, what are you, what's your name? My name's Layla, and I'm in second grade. My name is Zoe, and I'm in first grade. Awesome. And what are your favorite things in the world to do when you're not in school? Well, I I like to, um, well, if I'm on summer vacation, I like to go to the beach. Mm. Beach Beach. is good? You're speaking Nate's language, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what do you like to do? What about you? My favorite thing is to go um, to a pool, like a swimming pool that, um, like, by our... 
Oh yeah, yeah, like swimming pools. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you. Yeah. You and both you guys, like the water. Yeah, they like the water. Mm-hmm. They like the water, which I might add uh, is a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> because now, yes. Aaron, this, this goes back to a previous <laughs> conversation that we had. I know. I was thinking of it. <laughs> but I didn't want to, I want to say it in front of your girl. Yeah, I know. We'll wait a second. <laughs> I think it's phenomenal. Oh, phenomenal. Okay. And you guys it, you guys that aren't watching on the video podcast can't see that the girls have the coolest light-up shoes. Yeah. They sparkle on the toes and on the heels, I think. Yes. So as they walk Man. around, we can still, I can always find them. I'm just going to keep bringing up video podcasts just yeah. to confuse people. Yeah, we need to do a video hey. podcast at some point. Hey, Layla, my my girl Abigail Psalm is in second grade as well, and all of her shoes are light-up shoes because they're the raddest girl shoes in the world. Oh, I wish they made them for grown-ups. I'd wear some. Oh, yeah. So the, o- the only other question I have for you ladies is, what what is funniest about your dad? What do you think <laughs> is the funniest? Yeah, go, Zoe. He he does that to me too sometimes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but what's what's funny about your dad? Um, that's funny because sometimes when um when sometimes he um pretends to hug me, but he doesn't. He tries to tickle me by holding his finger and trying to get in my. I give you pretend hugs and I try to tickle your armpit. Ah, that's sweet. Well, thank you, girls, for coming and saying hi. And we won't keep your dad too much longer, so you can go do something more fun than sitting around his studio. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you, babe. Bye. See you guys. All right. right. So, Mondo, what came to mind with your swimming daughters? That was the exact same thing that came to my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Well. Uh, it, it is um, apparently um, it is a cultural standard uh, in the, uh, the black slash African American community that you do not get a child or a black person's hair wet in pool water, rain water, uh, ocean because of what it does to the hair. And if you do it, you, uh, there's a lot of maintenance to get it back to normal because of what the chlorine does or what the salt does or what water can do. So, the See, white, that, people, white people don't know this. They right. don't understand the pain. Right, and which is very <laughs> interesting. Now, now, it's usually with girls more than it is with boys, but some, some guys you know, are, are picky about that too. But I've never dealt with that personally. Um, you know, I think chlorine does something weird to everybody here, personally. You know, I, I think, but <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's everybody. I think, but but it's interesting the fact that you know my girls are they, they love the water, man. And you don't really hear African American kids saying that too often, especially girls. Well, and this this perpetuates the stereotype that right. y'all can't swim. Right, right. Well, Those like, black people can't swim. Well, it, well, you know what? I, Okay, this okay, I don't I don't wanna obviously make a general statement, but uh, <laughs> But I'm gonna but I'm gonna. And I think I can do that. Because I'm one of them. So it, it's funny to me because I mean I think there would there are less black people in the world that can swim because of that that stigma, if you will, that paranoia of getting the hair wet. You know, don't get the hair wet because we're going to have to put a lot of work in to getting it back to normal. So don't get your hair wet. No, we're not going swimming. No, get well, get in the pool. We're going to give you a, a little a little uh head, little mask <laughs> head thing. So we're going to, you know, you're going to look like you're cooking fried chicken in the pool. <laughs> we're going to <laughs> Uh, we're gonna, so when I when I brought Elijah back, Newton, this was I, I told Mondo about this. There's a woman that I'm on the uh, the AIDS support network board yeah. with, and she is an African American woman, and she loves to to mess with me and tease me. She's like my favorite person to hang out with, it. and she's like, okay, so you brought your black boy home, right? Now you know you can't take him near the water. He can't swim. And you can't take him skiing either, because that's just frozen water. So he can't ski. <laughs> right. And she went on and on about the rules of water and my son. Yeah, like well, you adopted a damn gremlin or something. <laughs> <laughs> Don't feed him after midnight. <laughs> exactly. It was. I was sitting there thinking, like, this is 
This seems like the most racist bunch of words I've ever heard in my life, but I guess you're black, so you can say it, but this is weird. Exactly. And it exactly, was, it was really funny, so that's why I love Lisa. So on these cultural notes, I think we're going to take a break and yeah. come back. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man, I, we're in trouble with if somebody. I don't know who it's going to be. If you're listening, but... we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, hopefully there's one or two of you who remain <laughs> after, that, that, after that last conversation. Uh, so moving on to more uh, serious uh, stamps and matters. Uh, hey, we we're have, reaching into the mailbag. Yeah, we're gonna reach into the yeah. mailbag, man. We have a pretty good conversation uh, that's coming out of the mailbag today. Newton, why don't you yeah. get us hit the So we on. got a got a question. Uh, it goes something like this: uh, I am Silas to a guy who is walking through a dark time in his marriage and is beginning his recovery. How do I, as his Silas, set boundaries and focus on my health and sobriety while walking with him through this? I'm finding it difficult and thought I would reach out. Thanks. Okay. All right. So let me let me clarify the question. He wants boundaries for himself, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. What, I think what he's asking is, like, when, like, when can my guy call me? You know, when, when can I say I can't talk about that? You know, um, how available do I have to be? That okay. that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, it, it seems like he he wants to protect his walk and his path. Right, but at the same time, he wants to help his buddy, his side right. as well. So it's it's how do I go down his path without intrude, like going in my dark area? Yeah, you know. What I'm saying? Well, That's- and there's there's yeah. Well, there's two different ways. I mean, you're bringing up the second one, Mondo. The first way is just boundaries of like appropriate. At times and places and space, while still honoring, I'm the person that's available right. to be called. Because when you make yourself available, and then say, and here's the boundaries when I'm not available, uh, that seems that seems hard. That's yeah. seems conditional. The other side, Mondo, what you're talking about, it's very Galatians uh, six, uh, where it's brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him to his, in a in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself. Lest yeah. you to be tempted. I think that's another side of this, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I have, honestly, I have learned more ways around Internet filters and things like that from people that I've been silencing who say, oh, I found this way around. I'm like, well, why are you telling me this? I don't want to know. Like, I don't go hunt for this. But then you tell me, they're like, there's this site over here, and it doesn't, right. I don't want to know anything. Ignorance is holiness. Yeah. Ooh, man, maybe we should edit that out. That's really <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I think that's the whole keep watch on yourself. I don't even yeah. want to know how to get myself into trouble. So what would you do? Like, let's say I'm Silas and the guy, and he just has to, like, whatever he's walking through is is just heavy. and It's just dark and it's hard. <clears throat> and he needs to share that with me as his Silas. How do I... What's I don't think the word deburden is necessarily what I'm looking for, but how do I lighten my load in that? Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes when guys share stuff with me, I, I can't carry it by myself, just like they can't carry it by themselves. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a couple things here. One, we need to remember that we are very different people. God's wired us different ways, which means some people get really burdened with other people's stuff yeah. easier. yeah. Like, you could tell me the worst stuff in the world, and I'm going to be able to go home and not think about it. Right. And go on to play canasta with my kids. Right. And no, my kids are not 85 and 89. (laughs) We just play canasta. Uh, Other people, it's going to take them out for, like, days. They're going to carry it deeply. So if you are one of those people that carries it deeply, I think you have to have people that you can talk to with but <laughs> this is setting up like a chain reaction right they right. told me something really hard i had debrief with another person now they're taking it to the next person right i think you can be more general with the next person right. and still 
take that burden off of yourself to say, I've been talking with someone about right. some hard things. You don't have to get into the specifics, but yeah. you can be able to express some of that. Uh, as far as the boundaries issue that you were talking about originally, which yeah. might be this, this fellow's actual question, it's, it is important to have boundaries because sometimes people that love to use their silos are used to having kind of codependent relationships with right, others right. Sure. Who, who are just available all the time for their drama. Right. So sometimes the greatest thing that person needs is to have someone giving appropriate boundaries. Right. Saying, okay, I get that you're talking through this, but you have to learn that it's not as urgent as it feels. Right. I need you to wait, not call me at 3 in the morning. If this is a right. 3 in the morning call, it's an 11 at night call even. And it's not an emergency. We're going to have to talk and say, "Hey, you are used to having your emotional needs met like this." Right. And I can I can guarantee you, anybody that's doing that to their Silas has done that for years to other people. That mm. they think that their emotional need is the top priority to everybody. Yeah. Right, yeah. And they create drama. Yeah. Well, I know. So go ahead. Sorry. So to be a good Silas to a person like that is to not have that obligation put on you. And to say, I need you to wait until this time to yeah. call. Yeah. Um, and, and that's okay. Now, there is some discernment because occasionally a crisis is that big. That right. You need to call at 3 in the morning. And so you got to make that clear. Hey, there are certain times where this is necessary, and I will be there. If you're signing up to be a stylist, right, you're right. saying, I'm going to be available. Right. But that doesn't mean available for what this person might have developed as a very bad habit. Yeah, well, and I think, I know when I, like, when I first got into a Silas relationship where someone was Silasing me, and I started feeling comfortable that he knew me, mm -hmm. I wanted him to know everything that was going through my head all the time. And I might send that guy 15 text messages in a day, or, you know, do, like, Facebook chat, or, I mean, whatever, you know, where... You know, I see somebody's online, and I'm like, hey, man, I want to talk to you. I want to process this. Right. And not putting up my own – I didn't know or have that mechanism to put up my own stop sign and work on it myself for a minute mm -hmm. and then kind of checking in with him. Yeah. Um, and I think there may be some of, you know, some of that, too, where a guy is like, man, this guy knows me and he wants to help me. I'm just going to let him help me all the time. You know? Well, and the way you and just I don't mean all the time. I mean 24-7. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think that's a very gracious way to be able to talk to a person that you're silencing to say, okay, I love getting to process with you, but yeah. it's important that you're learning how to process on your own. So if you call me the second you're going through it, unless you're in crisis. So this is, again, you know, every counselor, I have a lot of counselor friends, and all of their voicemails say, if this is an emergency, though, call 911, right? So they all have to you got to say that. you got to qualify your statement. Look, right. there are times, yes. But you need to be taking time to process on your own so that you can yeah. learn that. And so I really I want to do the one call a day between these hours when I'm available yeah. unless it's an emergency. And it's, it's for your sake, not because I don't want to hear about it, but as we've moved on, you have to be able to hold on and deal with it with you and God and then bring me into it as your brother and then bring the group into it. Yeah. So uh, I think that's important for those that maybe overstep that boundary. Yeah. So the third issue being that Galatians 6 thing is being aware of our own triggers. Right. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and realizing, okay, when I talk about certain things with people, uh, it's it might mess with my head. And, I mean, being a... Being a pastor, everyone thinks that pastors are like asexual creatures. You can talk about <laughs> anything, and it's not going to matter. Yeah. Well, man, sometimes I'll have conversations. I'm like, okay, that messed with my head. So I need to know where my triggers are. I need to be in relationship with other people to yeah. have uh, people I can talk to. And I might need to, after a conversation, uh, not go right back to working on a computer or something like that. I need to go take a walk, clear my mind. Right. I might need to... Make sure to go listen to some worship music. I always find that sin is more difficult if your soundtrack is like, uh, you know, Lord, I lift your name on high. That really messes up your fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bad example. I swore that song off in about 1998. <laughs> yeah. But uh, same thing. Some, sometimes you, you have to know 
yeah, I've said before, if, if you know you're Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, yes. then when you are Dr. Jekyll, you better lock up all the knives and hide the key in a place that Mr. Hyde won't find them. Right. Yeah. So if I know that's coming, I need to screw it up. I need to scramble it so that when that trigger's happening, uh, it's I have steps in front of me, hurdles in front of me that make it harder. Yeah. So I think well, that's what Paul's talking about. Yeah, and you. I, I also think, and it may be another way that kind of saying exactly what you're saying, but you can't set boundaries unless you know your boundaries. Mm-hmm. You've got to be, you know, I have to be self-aware enough to know that when a guy calls me and talks yeah. about something that's kind of just in my wheelhouse of, mm-hmm. of addictions or problems or struggles, that I've got to have, like you're talking about a plan in place, but if he's talking about something that I can't hear, I've got to know that yeah. and and tell him that probably not in on the fly but in advance right. or once mm-hmm. I've realized it to say hey and I I can't do I can't do that you know right. or maybe I'm yeah. not the guy to silence you because I can't walk through that yeah. well and and that's that is an okay thing to say too is when someone starts talking about something to say hey can we keep this a little more general? Yeah. Because that's gonna that's gonna trigger me. Right. Yeah. And if not, then we can find somebody for you to talk to about it if you need to get all the specifics out because specifics are important sometimes. Right. You know for sure. But it is okay for you to guard yourself in that moment and say, Hey, can we can we go a little more general with this one today? Because yeah. you're getting more specific than is good for me. Yeah. That's totally fine. There are so many honorable ways to be able to to talk about this so the other person doesn't feel rejected or they don't feel all those things. Yeah. If you're just honest about where your heart is, it's not as hard as it seems it would be. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I would love to get Nate's take on this too. So, uh, maybe we could bring up a, at another time. Because, yeah. Uh, reason why I say that, not that you guys aren't geniuses, but. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling kind of bad about that last statement. No, no, no. No. Reason why is because of my personal experience. Nate was my first Silas. Um, and he had a very interesting way of establishing the boundaries. I mean, in the beginning, when we first started, uh, it started with the walk and coffee. Um, and at that point, I mean, I was wildfire, man. I, I was just, it felt so good to have somebody to go there with. Right. And I was just, I mean, wide open. I mean, right. I felt like I, every thought I had, he needed to hear it, needed to know it, we needed to walk through it. Like, right. And, and, so, and it, it became, I mean, it was just, just just vomiting like every every minute I could voicemail email text you know try to find him at Starbucks you name it right uh, and you know he had, <laughs> that's he had, called stalking right but, exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly so um, but he had a very interesting way of handling it and uh, he could articulate it way better than I can but he established boundaries and he set the pace by how he responded and when he responded huh. Well, oh, that 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 is so important, Mondo. Yeah. I mean, there there are certain people, and they even know it now. One said it just a couple of days ago. Yeah. That I know I have to disappoint them regularly. Yeah. In their expectations, right? Not like long term, but I won't return a call right. until like five hours later. Right. 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 But that's part of how I'm loving them. Yeah. And I love that just a few days ago somebody said, "Yeah, I know I'm learning to be, you know be flexible and get disappointed, and I know that you still love me." And that that actually freed me up even more yeah. because I was willing for him to be pissed at me. Yeah. yeah. But I knew that this was important for him. So yeah, we should have Nate talk about that because that's it was interesting. Huge. Man, cause, yeah. When when my emotions wanted a conversation with him, he had a very interesting way of managing that. Hmm. Um, by he again he set the pace by how and when he responded, and the but but when my practical or the circumstances needed him right like the chaos was happening we need yeah he was on Amen. point right yeah and so That's awesome so it, it was it was interesting now looking back i see it then it was i wouldn't i wouldn't say i'd go as far for me as saying it was disappointing he was disappointing me it was it made me curious a little bit to, to kind of figure out you know okay well he's not hitting me back right away but then when chaos breaks loose He's right there. Yeah. So he had a very so, interesting way. It was very wise, like, <laughs> experienced way of yeah. managing the Silas relationship. So I, I love to hear his take on that. Yeah. And I, I remember, I mean, I actually, before I was on the podcast, emailed the podcast the question about 
like what's a check-in look like? And and I've adopted what you know whatever you guys said you know that it should have four things. And I, I coach isn't the right word. I recommend that the guys I side with do this. Like I'm not going to answer the phone nine times out of ten. I'm going to have you leave me a voicemail, and I can listen to it later, and I'll text you back, you know, or I'll call you if I need to call you. But you know, it's what are you feeling? Because that's what we disconnect from the most. And then it's what are you doing? What are you thinking about doing? And I forget the fourth thing. What are you thinking? Um, yeah, yeah. What are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you thinking about doing? Um, and man, in two minutes, and I, I've gotten in that habit when I call my own Silas every day, um, and I can knock out where I am right then in two minutes. Yeah, yeah. And if I need to send him a text later in the day and say, "Hey, I'm in the middle of something. I'm just trying to clear my head," or "I got to call somebody else," mm-hmm. I do that. But I'm not trying to get like I don't even like my Silas answering the phone. Uh, it works out that our schedules are different, so he doesn't answer when I call, because I don't want a 30-minute conversation every time I call him. Well, that that's a great point, though. That there are times when somebody says what they're doing, what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they're thinking about doing. One of those feels like, well, I should try to fix that. Yeah. But the reality is, just because we've said it, that takes away most of the problem. It's yeah. out there now. Right. So. To, to ask a question, if you are the silist to say, all right, well, did you want to do anything about that? Or are you pretty clear on what you need to do? And that's, that's an important question. Are you clear on what you need to do? Yeah. If they say, nope, I, I'm clear on it, great, conversation's done, but we feel like we have to over-pastor people mm-hmm. now that it's out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's when you get a 30-minute conversation. Yeah. Right. But if they ask me, hey, well, are you clear on what you need to do? And I say, uh you know, can we take a couple minutes to talk about this? Great. Now, that's setting the boundaries, right? Right. Yeah. So we're we're being clear about what's expected and what comes. So don't just jump into super pastor mode before, you know, uh, it's being asked for. Right. So, yeah, let's bring Nate into the conversation next time. But yeah. we've got an interview coming up with a very interesting novelist. Uh, and we're excited to introduce you to him, but we will do that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We have our special guest, C.J. Stunkard, all the way from Delaware. I was trying to think of anyone I've ever known from Delaware, and I think you are the first, C.J. Yeah, definitely the first for me. It's exciting for me. (laughs) George Washington, boats, it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, that's an honor. I hope I represent the state well. And, uh, and if I don't, and if I and if I don't, look for other people because we have a lot of great people here. <laughs> well, CJ uh, has been online journalist, blogger, podcaster, editor, director, producer, but uh, the latest big shift, what since 2011, was publishing of your first novel, Stronghold. That's a huge shift. So we're going to get to the book in a little bit, but first, uh, I am sure the pirates all over the world want to know. 
what a man from Delaware is like and how he came to write a novel called Stronghold? <laughs> um, well, my goodness, after that introduction, I feel like I can't live up. Um, yeah, basically my, my story is prototypical to, I would say, middle-class Christian men in America. Uh, I grew up in a, in a loving home. Um, I, I went to a Christian school for elementary and junior high school, tra uh, transferred over into public school as I got older, and, um, you know, did the right things, said the right things. I, I truly think that I believed the right things also. Um, but that was, that was one narrative of my life, and there was a, a parallel line running alongside of it, um, and that was that I had a, a secret, and um, that secret was uh, my my use and abuse and uh, my further addiction um, to pornography. And so as I was going through life, probably through junior high and all the way into my marriage, um, those lines I was able to keep compartmentalized to a, to a very strong degree. Uh, but as my relationship with the Lord deepened, as um, my faith became more my own, and as uh, my love for my wife grew, uh, the, that secret compartmentalized life could no longer exist. I, I was not able to um, have genuine integrity as a, as a human being and, and even have that be any part of my life. So um, by the Lord's grace, I was able to... to uh, move against that and get accountability. And uh, one such evening of, of fighting temptation uh, led to a, a very, very personal and very raw spiritual experience. And as a result of that, um, I decided to write the book. And the, the book itself it actually has um, kind of a complicated history alone um, in that in December of 2000. Uh, 11, my wife and I, or excuse me, December 2010, my wife and I were really thinking about next life steps, and I was really seeking the Lord at that time. I'd been in recovery uh, for some time at that point, and um, I felt led to do two things. The one was to, to leave our very comfortable life in Southern California, and the other was to write a novel. And um, Stronghold was not my first first attempt. I, I had started a fantasy novel that was a complete failure, um, but you know, through the through the experience I had, it, it led directly to the writing of Stronghold, which I would say is somewhat of a success, a success at least in the amount that it's finished and published. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big success for writing. So, what what year? I'm trying to picture like how old were you when you came to this realization? <clears throat> I cannot keep compartmentalizing my life because it sounds like you were pretty successful at it. Would that be accurate? Okay. Yeah, you know, that that would be accurate. And and I would say that even as early as junior high, when I, I really do feel that, um, you know, I first came to the Lord, uh, I, I knew it was a, a matter of sin in my life. Um, it's just a matter of sometimes we continue in our sin despite our, our efforts to the contrary. And uh, it was probably around the age, well, let me think here, I would have been 28 when I really made the decision to draw the line in the sand and just make sure that that was no longer a part of my life. What what did what did that look like? Making sure it wasn't part of your life. What did that look like? Yeah. Uh, primarily for me, it looked like uh, taking a stand by doing two things. The, the first is that I I got online accountability through. Um, through X3 Watch, which yeah. is mm -hmm. available through X3 Church. Yeah. And um, the second was treating my life more holistically in, in terms of, you know, um, being healthy in not only my spiritual pursuits, but my social pursuits, mental pursuits, emotional pursuits, and just making sure that I, I wasn't living life in pockets or trying to juggle all these different facets of life, but integrating everything together and um, pursuing wholeness as a person through through Christ, obviously. Yeah. So that 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 is a. I don't think we've talked about that in the way you're saying it. The idea that if I'm going to click on this website or whatever, this isn't my little secret time. 
but this time has everything to do with each of the other parts of my life. Even to write that out, I'm seeing it as like a graph, right? Because <laughs> I'm a visual person, more more of almost like a brainstorming thing where with all the bubbles. And to actually, to, I mean, right now, I could write out the bubbles in my life, yeah. right? And And I really, when I'm at home doing home stuff, I'm not considering, usually it doesn't cross my mind, you know, this really matters for what I who I am with my friends that come over and sit around the campfire on Thursday night or what I preach on Sunday and what I do and how we are in community on Thursday night matters to how I'm a father. Like, I just don't, I don't think that way. I don't think most people do, but that's kind of what you're saying was a pretty driving force in pushing you over the hump. Yes? Yes, absolutely. And I, and I do think you worded it very well that all of these aspects of our life um, that we are trying to maintain and keep organized, they really do have an effect on each other. And uh, I was actually just um, answering uh, to another interview last evening, and I kind of related it to the fact that, you know, if you don't if you don't eat well and take care of yourself, you become tired much more quickly. When you become t- tired much more quickly, you're less efficient. When you're less efficient, you feel like you're behind. When you feel behind and you're emotionally drained, your defenses are weakened, not only toward illness, but also in your willpower. And so all of those things have um, a very integrated respect in our lives, but we so often fail to, I guess, make an intentional effort to understand that integration and use it well. And, and of course, for me, you know, again, it it all centers on Christ. I, I think maybe a, an imperfect analogy might be that a lot of people talk about juggling all of the, all, all of the balls in life, like a juggler trying to keep everything afloat. But I like to think of life, of life more as, like, we're a landmass and we have all these mountains on, in life or all these pockets and territories in life. And, you know, all of those things affect each other like any general ecosystem would. They, we can't just, um, just try to keep them afloat, but we want, we want things to be um, you know, well, well preserved and well cared for throughout the island. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm digging this. The ecosystem of the heart. Yeah. I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, did you actually? Because you're talking about eating right and things like that as being connected. Did you actually? You were thinking those thoughts and thinking, I'm gonna. I'm going to eat better, I'm going to look at my diet and bring all that together, or have you come to that later? Oh, that's a great question. I actually came to it before. Uh, Hmm. Two years prior to um, entering into my addiction recovery, I actually had a health scare, and so I was forced to diet and to work out regularly. And that was very important for my recovery process because it forced me to understand discipline, and better organizing my time, and also learning to say yes to something better rather than trying to say no to a temptation. Right. And I guess kind of trying to give you an example of that, it's like it's really hard for me to say no to French fries, but it's very easy for me to say yes to good food choices and health. So if I'm pursuing something positive, it's a stronger motivator than just trying to rebuff something that's negative. Although I do indulge in French fries from time to time, yeah. we won't we won't tell <laughs> any of the people listening. Nobody uh, is this, listening. <laughs> we we <laughs> when you were talking about this, it made me think of the book uh, Celebration of Discipline. Uh, there's actually three books written by Richard Foster, and the first was called The Path to Spiritual Growth. And I thought it was really interesting because he he takes things like Dallas Willard and others, you know, they have heady books on this stuff. And he breaks it down uh, a lot simpler. And if I remember right, the first discipline, you know, you expect like I will go away and do like a Lectio Divina in the woods for eight hours. But the, the first discipline challenge is actually to go to bed by like 930 and yeah. I, I love that because there are so many things that we don't take as spiritual that are deeply connected to our spirits and our, our walk that were just unhealthy 
and it makes so many other things. Nate talks about all the time uh, how that's a big part of his recovery is exercise and things yeah. like that. So I, I think that is a good reminder for all of us and all the listeners to just remember, hey, this isn't just about am I, am I in a group that talks about porn or drinking or anger or whatever, but am I doing the simple things that will actually make it easier to say yes to living a kingdom life uh, because God wants us to be functioning as he built us. You know, it's it's not a legalism thing. It's a it's a stepping into the fullness of life thing. Yeah, and they do yeah. all tie together. You know that <clears throat> I mean the idea that you compartmentalize compartmentalize that's easy to say your life as an addict. And I mean, like I think that coming into recovery is decompartmental. I can't say it. <laughs> Bringing the back tunneling. Together. Yes. Yes. Uh. And you bring up a wonderful point, too, about kingdom living now. I think all too often we we also separate life on earth from life in heaven. But there's an argument to be made, certainly, that the moment that we accept Christ as Savior and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, our eternal existence in the kingdom is already secured in that moment. And so our lives here on earth are constantly trying to reflect that reality more and more here, even in a broken environment. So I thought that was really good language I used. Yeah, no, I think that is, we need to remember what Jesus said. Like, A, if we think, yeah, when I die, I don't die, I keep living, well, then you're in your eternal life now. And then the fact that Jesus in John 17, 3 says this is eternal life definition on the way that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you've sent eternal life is this growing knowledge we're already in it now death is just going to be the transition to a way deeper knowledge but oh that we would learn to not miss out on eternal life now yeah so tell me how you integrated all this into a novel because i was just uh watching the second installment of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, uh, the movie. Now, uh, you know, you can laugh at me for that. Uh, and the second movie, oh, see, I almost said something I'd regret. I filtered myself right now. You and I did want it. everyone to know that. I did it. Um, not, as, not the greatest quality movie, I would say. But what I've always respected about Ayn Rand for, for all of the um, deep ways she misses the gospel is that she took a philosophy and stuck it into a book, a novel, a story. Yeah. And I think I always give honor to the fact that God is this storyteller that wants Christians to be able to do that because he writes most of Scripture in narrative form. So how did you take all these lessons and give the parable? Oh, that's, that's, um, that's a, not only a great question... But it assumes that uh, I'm a much better writer than I am. <laughs> you know, you know uh, to, be, to be really forthcoming with you, the the process of developing Stronghold into a story was the direct result of of my own personal exploration of what would it look like if I were a being walking in uh, on a in a reality that reflected my actual soul and what's happening in there. And so when you start from that place, you know, clearly Christ is king of my soul, and there are places where he has um, sanctified me so that they are well-cultivated and peaceful places, but there are also these dark pockets that I'm still holding on to or these areas where uh, I still have so much room left to grow. And... So, so part of that exploration um, revolved around taking those ideas of, of what that would really look like as I'm engaging them. And so, you know, throughout the book, I created kind of a, a mentor-slash-guide character, and, of course, Christ himself is, is very prevalent. And, um, you know, uh, Satan and his minions constantly trying to influence me also because I, I don't know what your experience has been, but for me... Um, the more 
that my relationship with Christ has deepened, the greater I feel temptation in my soul itself. Like I just, I, I feel it with so much more weight than I once did. And so, so yeah, to, to be really forthcoming, you know, the, the process of writing the book was just exploring these ideas and, and putting them from exploration and concept into a narrative form using my screenwriting degree. You know, I, I always think it's funnier. I grew up in Delaware. I went out to California to become the next big storytelling um, screenwriter and movie maker, and I just could not get any traction in doing that. And it wasn't until almost 10 years after I graduated that all that narrative training um, got put into something that I could put out into the world. Because I had done a number of other projects that were small and were very community-based and localized to you know friends and so forth. So I had all these storytelling tools, but I never had a story that I felt worth sharing with the world. And lo and behold, you know, the Lord took probably one of the the darkest facets of my my walk here on Earth, and He re- I don't want to say He He redeemed that, but I guess that probably is the best word used to describe it. But He redeemed it for Himself and His glory, because as people read the story, it, it's like, wow, like Christ can really deliver you, even when you're thinking that this sin is so much larger than you and so much more powerful than you could ever be, and Christ just appears and delivers you. Well, let me, let me read this description on, on Amazon, and, and then I have two questions for you. So the description on Amazon is this. Tonight, one believer asks himself that question, and the answer changes his life forever. He finds himself in Salsland. Salsland? How do you pronounce Salsland in your... Salsland, a fantasy realm of his imagining, where the lamb reigns as king, but hell's minions linger. Here, the believer must confront sin as flesh. Demonic hordes war against him. A horrid beast hunts in shadow. Angels rally to his aid, and forces clash across his soul. The tide could turn at any moment, and more is at stake than one night's temptation. Join the believer in his Christ-exalting journey of sanctification. The battle is fantasy, but the war is real. Nice synopsis, man. That's a good, well-written. Yeah, well-written. I... I I find writing a synopsis one of the most difficult things on the planet, and I'm horrible at it. So I truly enjoy seeing the art of a well-written synopsis. So I am seeing, like, it. my first thought is glimpses of, like, Frank Peretti piercing the darkness or this present darkness kind of yeah. books where you're seeing the battle. Is is that kind of where this journey's going to try to pull the veil back and get a glimpse beneath? Well, it it is and it isn't. I think the primary difference between my work and the work of Frank Peretti would be that he is trying to convey a very objective reality. Well, in, a, in his fictional universe, the objective reality would be that angels and demons are fighting a war on a different dimensional plane that is affecting our reality. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've read um, at least Pierce in the Darkness, This Present Darkness, and Prophet, and they're excellent books. Um, but what my book tries to do is really... I, I almost want to say minimize that to one believer's construct of what that might be, of what that might look like, more so than an objective reality. So on the you're, micro I, level, I, I, not the not the macro level. Well, and yeah, not, that's a that's a great way of putting it. So, so huh. you're not trying to create a theology of angels and demons. You're using those spiritual forces, which are real, as a way to express the battle. Yes, and and I've had wonderful conversations um, since the book has been released with individuals who have assumed that I'm trying to make objective truth statements or theological statements, and I keep coming back to that the book has a framing device of a central character essentially saying to the audience, 
I am going to just take the doctrine I know and put it into this fantasy construct to try to get a better sense of what is really happening. And so he has these ideas of angels and of demons and the ways in which they battle, but it's certainly not trying to speak directly to the objective reality that we know exists but really do not have um, a firm grasp of it. That, that is great. It yeah. heightens the awareness without assuming knowledge. And that's, I think yes. that's and there, where and we there are. There are direct statements in the book um, where it, it seems as though the angels are making direct, objective, truth claims, but again, taken within the framing device. I, I, I always tell people, I've written myself a license for them to behave differently than you might really think angels would act, because this is a person's idea of angels, not so much um, angels themselves. And, and furthermore, you know, the, the the central thrust of including those angels was because they are, in one way, a representation of community and the church. And so they fill a lot of archetypical roles throughout the journey. So he has the mentor, he has um, the one who's, who's kind of rough around the edges and gives him a hard time because he knows that he can draw more from him that way. He has the encourager. He has all of these archetypical um, angels that, that fill very important church functions for him. And so that's, that's part of the way in which I designed the narrative as I was going through and revising it. Now, you, you used the word I when you were talking about the character. Is, is that through the book? Is the I piece there or is it just really how you see this main character is yeah uh, that that is a, a really astute observation i think at this point in discussing the book i use them interchangeably but it certainly was not my intention to write something autobiographical as much as um i guess most create something of an everyman believer in the text himself in the text itself that, that's why in the book um, the, the believer is never referenced by actual name uh, and no physical description of him is given as to um, wow. race or height or or you know eye color or anything like that um, so your your hope your hope is that your hope is that I would read the book and I would use the word I when I'm talking about the book. That is exactly my hope. And I've had readers have that, have that experience, which has been immensely encouraging to me. Well, oh, man, so yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. No, no, Newton. Go. The, so the book is it's written in third person, like with a, with a narrator. It's not written in first person. Is that right? No, the book is written first person. It oh, was, wow. It was very strongly influenced by the Hunger Games. I, I read the Hunger Games in about a week, and I'm a notoriously slow reader, and I found that the immediacy and the urgency of the first-person narrative really helps to drive page-turning. And so I adopted that style when telling this story because, as I said, you know, it's a, it's a narrative depiction of exploring one's own spiritual reality, and that can become very heady. I mean, I feel like it was very heady even trying to put it into a sense, and so um, by using that narrative style, it, it did serve those two functions. The first is that I do want the reader to be reading it, picturing him himself or, you know, herself um, having this journey and exploring these things, but, but secondarily, it also just creates that experience of... Um, of exploring things and having new re new information constantly revealed to the individual. Well, I'll tell you this, CJ. I have I have never said this on this show before. Uh, I am I am looking at your Amazon page right now, so anyone can look up Stronghold by CJ Stunkard on the Amazon page. There's a Kindle version. There's a paperback version. I am going to get it today, and this is going to be my 14-year-old son's next homeschool literature book, and we're going to discuss it together. So you are, you're about to have, like, the forget critics. I'm a homeschool <laughs> dad that homeschools my 14-year-old through many conversations about uh, boobs. 
So, <laughs> uh, we this is this is now a homeschool textbook as of today. There you go. Wow, that is that is very exciting. That just made that just made my day. Thank you so much. And uh, and also, I know I know you you mentioned that topic of conversation in jest, but I think it's so apparent for all the listeners to realize that those conversations are exceedingly important for fathers and sons to have because the son who doesn't have those conversations with their fathers but their father but has an environment that is um, that that pursues righteousness and does so to a degree that those things aren't even discussed leaves that son wholly unequipped to deal with the emotions and the sensations that he's feeling, particularly at the age of 14. So I applaud you for having those conversations. That's excellent. Yeah. No, it's, and, and it's good. I, I will give this much encouragement to every parent. I have done purity conferences and spoken in front of huge rooms filled with college students uh, talking about masturbation and pornography, all that, a million times harder sitting with my 11-year-old or my 14-year-old using the M word. I'd rather be on a stage <laughs> with, <laughs> with hundreds and hundreds of eyes looking at me than my kids. So it is yeah. it is hard, but it is so good. And so books like this are such a great tool because it gives third-party credibility. It gives a door into the conversation, and it keeps the conversation going because it's not I hate, hate the I had the talk with my kid. There's no such thing as the talk. You really think you're going to have one talk and you're done? Sorry, dads. It is about a six-year dialogue that's got to keep going often because I guarantee you their friends are not having the talk. They're talking about it every stinking day. That's right. what we're fighting against. Yeah, that one yeah. time me and my friends talked about Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Come on, to stay in the race, I have to talk about boobs righteously at least you know 10 percent as much as their friends want to talk about boobs unrighteously yeah yeah that's so astute and and it mirrors god's own relationship to us in the sense that he doesn't just reveal to us a need for patience or for kindness once he's constantly in the spiritual dialogue with us through the spirit and reinforcing um the need for christ in our lives so you're yeah, you've, you've got a lot, so much wisdom that you're sharing with your audience. Now, you need to be on the horn. Man, I, I, I want CJ here more often. This is there very encouraging. Tell me some more. I'm handsome, too, right? <laughs> I know you, you can't see me right now, but I'm hot. Oh, man. CJ, we'd love to give people a way to get in touch with you if, if they can, to just ask questions, or they might read your book and have a question. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? The best way is probably going to be through uh, my publishing email address, mm -hmm. and that is cj at symbol, 3L as in love, C as in Christ, publishing.com. So cj at 3LCpublishing.com, or if they're on Twitter, find me on Twitter. It's real easy. CJ Sunkard. S-T-U-N-K-A-R-D. Well, there you go. CJ, it has been a pleasure to have you today. I am excited about all these things. Fun to talk about a novel. We usually go nonfiction around yeah, here, so uh, it's been a lot a of fun. Of, a little fiction's a good thing. So thank you for joining us. Go ahead. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Look Our forward pleasure. to reading the book, CJ. Oh, all right. Thank you so much. And we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right, that was a uh, and a really good conversation with CJ Stunkard. Uh, you guys should be uh, be sure to check him out. Uh, it was way different, and just having some. A Christian fiction uh, that deals with recovery issues, I think is pretty neat. Um, we're about out of time. Be sure to uh, let us know what you think, what you want to hear. Email us. Uh, it always turns into good conversation for us. Uh, the email address is sampsonpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you can do it in 140 characters or less, 
at Pirate, Pirate Monk Radio on Twitter. Uh, we've got a cool guest next week, uh, so be sure to keep tuning in. Let us know what you think. Uh, for Aaron, for the absent Nate, and for Mondo, I'm Newton on the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs>